The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name's Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. It's the mailbag edition answering all of your questions about the New England game and the future of this football team. It's looking good. 4-0. They look like they're probably going to be the one seed. It's looking pretty good for this football team. I don't know about that. I don't know about y'all. Uh, but here to help me answer all your questions are my dear pals. First, find them on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Matthew Lane, what's up? Thanks. And Chiefs Twitter is spicy after this New England game. I think everybody's on edge. We all kind of expected a little bit more than what we got. I still feel really good about the game. I don't think everyone does. So you just got people with all kinds of opinions right now about the Chiefs. Hey, so do we. So we asked you guys for questions. We're going to answer them for you guys as you send them in. But we are joined by the most famous and the most handsome member of this podcast, Craig Stout. How are you doing today, buddy? Man, I'm about sick and tired of covering these late Monday games. Can we cool it with this, NFL? I am exhausted. Oh, no, that's even worse. I am exhausted, but we're here for you. We're here for your mailbag questions. Let's get to them. Yeah, we've got a ton of them. Let's just jump right into them, and we start with the APNerdSquad at gmail.com questions. If you don't have Twitter, if you... Have already left us a five-star review. If you don't want to leave us a five-star review, you just don't like us that much, that's fine. You can email us at apnerdsquad at gmail.com. And Cheesy Chief did just just that and said, now that the Texans have finally fired Bill O'Brien, which scenario is more likely? The Texans make the same mistake the Chiefs made in 2012 and, and hire defensive coordinator interim head coach Romeo Cunnell or the Texans hire Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, uh, they're hiring Eric Bieniemy. I actually made the joke immediately after this happened that uh, that I I was sad that the Texans didn't have more draft picks because then they could give them up to the Chiefs for Eric Bieniemy because clearly they would do such a thing. I just think Eric Bieniemy's out of contract at the end of the season. It makes too much sense. The only thing that could stop him from going to Houston is if Atlanta's on the table. Or if the jet, no, not the Jets. I, who am I kidding? It's Houston for for Eric Bieniemy. Hold on. What if what if the Jets have the first pick in the draft? Mm. You taking Trevor Lawrence? You gonna build around Trevor Lawrence there? 
Yes. Move on if from the Sam Jets Darnold. Can't win a, if the Jets go 0-16 or 2-14 and this year, I think you move on from Sam Darnold and trade him. I think that everybody saw how that worked out with the Arizona Cardinals, and they think that that is definitely the hot move. And I get it. It would be really hard not to when you get your chance to take Trevor Lawrence. But that, to me, sounds like so much pressure and unnecessary headache to have. Like, is Sam Darnold going to turn it around when he goes to a better team? If so, is Trevor Lawrence on your poor team going to be able to outmatch him? Like, it worked out with Kyler Murray and for the Cardinals, but boy, I would be real hesitant for that. I think the Texas job looks better with Deshaun Watson. Like, if I'm a head coach, I want that Texas job. I want it so bad right now. I think you can make a lot of stuff happen there. I do have a little bit of concern, though. Is Vietnamese going to be in the Dave Tobe area just to where maybe he doesn't interview well? Maybe he doesn't. Something goes wrong with these interviews. Something goes wrong in the process where he doesn't actually get the job. Because we've heard for years Dave Tobe is towards the top of some head coaching candidate lists, and it's just never come to fruition does that happen to be enemy? I don't know. And that's where it gets tricky for the Chiefs. How do you move up guys like Kafka through the system if enemy doesn't get hired out? I think he will. It's just there's always that concern when we don't know how these guys are interacting behind the scenes. And just sometimes that coach speak doesn't always play super well in interviews. <laughs> you guys are missing the most important part of this question. We just glossed over the fact that we're going to be at least graced with 12 weeks of Romeo Crennel press conference quotes. Here for it. I mean, if you can take the ball and throw it between your legs backwards, you can make a pretty good living in this league. My man used osmosis in a press conference. I mean, he said, well, they call it football in the, in the foot's part of the game. All-time quotes from Romeo Crennel are going to be falling upon us it is must listen. I might listen to those more than I listen to Andy the next 12 weeks. Brian Dorfler emails in, given what you've seen from the team thus far and assuming the Chiefs are drafting 32nd overall next year. I like that. What positions would you prefer them to target? In recent years, the standard answer would be cornerback. But I'm wondering if that's becoming a lower priority than offensive line, linebacker, and wide receiver at this point. You guys do great work. P.S., Lane Stout Ticket in 2024, Chief Bearcat would make a solid Secretary of Treasury. I am here for that. I want a pin. I want a Lane Stout 2024 pin so badly. Uh, I do think the priority has pivoted away from cornerback. This is going to be probably the first year I'm not clamoring for the Chiefs to draft a cornerback because they've to their credit, deservedly, they've found solutions with lesser round picks. And credit to Sam Madison for that, and credit the eyes of the sta of the uh, of the personnel staff for being able to identify some guys that'll fit well within this scheme. I think you've got to look at offensive line or wide receiver. I think you got to keep loading up on the offensive side of the football. You can't. You got to stay ahead of the curve with Mahomes. As your quarterback, you want to make sure you're always loading that thing up for him. There could be some big questions at offensive line, especially um, if if Lucas Niang's not available or not up to speed with you know missing this year. Wide receiver, you could potentially need another weapon here, a uh, guy that can maybe play all three positions uh, at the wide receiver spot. There's some big needs there, so I think you're, I, I'm off cornerback this year in the first round. I think for the first time, one. 
I'm offended that I'm considered the president in this scenario and not the vice president. Like, I think we all know that Greg Stout is 100% the president, the vice president, and his entire cabinet himself that he handmade, I may add. But (laughs) the draft, when it comes to the draft, quarterback's still going to be at the top of my list. I don't know what the Chiefs are doing with Charvarius Ward yet. I do wonder if he prices himself out of how much they want to spend on the position. I understand they can give him a tender, I believe it is, next year that's not going to be too expensive. It's just at some point in time you got to pay him. I wonder if he's going to be on their desire to pay. Brett Veach doesn't really care or know what the cornerback position is, so I don't expect it. Interior offensive line continues to look like a problem. I do think replacing Sammy Watkins is going to be a huge worry for the Chiefs going forward. I really do think they are going to miss that physical X receiver, the possession receiver. I mean, even against New England, he had some nice plays on third downs going over the middle that they are going to miss when he's gone. Sleeper position, defensive end, Tano Passanio, Taco Charlton, Alex Ogafor, all free agents after the season. That is your second, third, and fourth best pass rushers at defensive end, you're going to lose them all. That's a position that I do think the Chiefs want to keep rolling talent into, so I would not be surprised to see that addressed somewhat early in the draft. I mean, especially if Brendan Daly's your defensive coordinator next year after Steve Spagnuolo moves on. Yeah, he's going to want a guy on that defensive line there. Or, you know, if the Chiefs send like a fifth to Houston for J.J. Watt since they're fire sailing now, We'll, we'll see. But anyway... I, I do think that it is wide receiver. I do think that it is, you know, a cornerback. And I think those are the two guys that are going to be there. I do think that they like Lucas Niang. I think that they're willing to ride with Eric Fisher and Lucas Niang for a little while longer. I think we're kind of seeing what's happening with Mitchell Schwartz here. I mean, I would expect maybe Jalen Waddle. I would expect that level of player going and attacking that position to try and replace Sammy Watkins. Get an X. Get that true kind of X-style receiver that that Andy Reid wants because Brett Veach and Andy Reid are going to continue to add offensive pieces for Patrick Mahomes at all costs here. As much as I would love it to be Dylan Moses and the Chiefs have a good mic with range, it's just not going to happen. I expect wide receiver. Lane Stout, 2024. Bearcat is the treasurer, and I'm left to write the tell-all book. Joe Moore, our guy asks, what's up with Harrison Butker, and will it be okay to cheer for Eric Bieniemy when he's head when he's head coach of the Texans? Special teams expert Craig Stout, what's up with Butker? I don't know. Um, he's pulling everything to the left. It, it, and I don't know if it's a holding situation. I don't know if it's a situation where he's just having to adjust to a new guy, a new approach, everything like that. It doesn't seem like it was a big problem when he was, you know, hitting bombs there against the Chargers. And it doesn't seem like it's a big problem in practice. By all reports, pregame, he is nailing these long ones without much effort. So when he's getting into the game, I think he even admitted that he was kind of juiced to go up against Justin Tucker and the Baltimore Ravens, he wanted to show that he was a better kicker, was not his day that day. And I don't know if this is just kind of a carryover. Maybe he needs to hit a few more shorter field goals, you know, get back in the rhythm of things again, because certainly you'll get like the yips. And then I don't have any problems with the Texans. Yeah, If Eric Bieniemy goes there, absolutely. I, I'm still going to be able to cheer for him. Special teams expert Craig Stout, everybody. And Russell, 2018, asks, Turk Wharton, despite his whiffed, tackle looks pretty fast for his size 
how can you get creative with a fast defensive tackle? Well, uh, yeah, he did look fast. He chased down James White on that screenplay. That was pretty impressive. How do you get creative with him? Uh, the reason he missed in t missed that tackle in space is because he was dropping. So, you know, you feel like you might be able to drop him a little bit different. And honestly, like, he looked like Anthony Hitchens in a good and bad way. Uh, because, I mean, he moves and he changes directions at a really nice level. Uh, but also, you, you, you let Brian Hoyer shake you up, buddy. I mean, Anthony Hitchens or Isaiah Simmons, they all have the same level of hips. So, um <laughs> I think the way I like to see the defensive tackles get utilized when they're this athletic, when they're this quick, stunts. I mean, just give me more stunts. And I don't just, I don't need my defensive tackle just to be the spike man. He does not just need to spear a guard or something so an end can loop around him. You can loop a defensive tackle that has the athleticism that Chris Jones or Turk Wharton have shown so far. I think that's where you really want to see it. I think that's something that Brendan Daly does like to do. I do wonder if we're going to start seeing more of that as the season goes on because that was a heavy part of what they did in New England. Give him somebody this athletic. I could do without all these defensive tackles dropping into hook zones and spying quarterbacks. Like, I get it. It's fun every now and then, but I could— It's amazing. You— you shut your mouth. I could really be okay if they never, ever do this again, especially when it's like third and seven and you have your defensive tackle dropping to the sticks. That's a whole lot of space for him to have to cover and then react to. But more stunts, get these defensive tackles looping outside sometimes. I think it could be a lot of fun. And You hold your tongue, Maddie. I mean, because Derek Naughty dropping into coverage is glorious. That's a glorious man. He takes he up a lot of space. He does have interceptions. He does have an interception. Like you, you hold your tongue. They they do some of those longer, you know, looping stunts with Naughty, a guy that's not necessarily known for his athleticism. I expect more of that from Turk Wharton as they go along. But yeah, Matty, Matty basically nailed it. And even when you are using him as the got the spike guy on a guard, you can maybe have him cross the face of the guard, get to an, a gap further on the stunt there and just try and suck some of these guys in a little further, open the windows up so that the looping rusher can come back around and do some damage off of what he's doing up front. Steve Gray Jr. asks, how should Willie Gay's role evolve as he continues to get more comfortable within the scheme? I think you're going to be seeing a lot more read and react for Willie as the season goes along. Uh, on the rewatch here, there's a lot of Willie Gay mugging a B-gap and then kind of plugging, you know, immediately plugging a, a guard. And he had a great stop, a two-yard run gain where he stacked the guard, shook the guard, and made the play. It was a very good play for him, an improvement over some of the stuff that I'd seen from him in college. But a lot of his off-ball stuff, he's still adjusting his angles. He's still adjusting where to attack and where to shoot the gap a little bit. So I think you're going to see a lot more of that just by him being on the field and then just kind of understanding the motions, the shifts, the formations, You know how the offense is moving. You know, Anthony Hitchens is very good at that. And he's learning from a guy that's very good at that, but he does need to advance in that way. He's just not there mentally yet. And that's part of the reason why he is basically a line next to Anthony Hitchens who can turn to him and say, hey, look for this. It's coming. Stand here. Shoot this gap. And it's being successful. It, it was a much better game for Willie Gay this week. I 
think the issue I'm having right now projecting how Willie Gay is going to continue to get more comfortable or more kind of responsibility in the scheme is he really looks so lost when he's out there. He is getting lined up by other players. He has been giving very simple assignments, which is fine because he is the strong side linebacker. I mean, it's a relatively simple role to execute in the scheme. I still don't buy that the Sam and the Will have similar responsibilities in the scheme like they tried to sell us this offseason. It's clearly not the case. So I, it's hard for me to project where he's going to go. I do think eventually a light bulb will flip. I just don't know if it's going to come on right away. I think it might be a little bit more of a slow burn. And I, you kind of hope by the playoffs, he's starting to have a feel for what the other team's doing. Like right now, I'm still waiting for him to understand what the Chiefs are doing defensively. I can't even begin to think about if he's understanding what offenses are doing against him. That might be a two, three year kind of thing for Willie Gay just because he had such limited experience. And I think that's kind of part of the learning curve and the issue why we're seeing him get on the field. He not only isn't showing an understanding of what offenses are doing back to him, he's still needing help to understand what the defense is supposed to be doing on that particular play. That to me says he has a long way to go. That said, I saw him get through a gap, stuff a fullback in the backfield and force a running back to cut into a defensive tackle. That's something Chiefs linebackers don't do very often, especially when Reggie Ragland's not involved. Yeah, they're behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Like, just that caveat itself is, it does not happen. Vitamin J, what was different about the Patriots uh, and how they played defensively versus how the Lions played the Chiefs last year? I would have to go back and rewatch the Lions game, but I feel like the Lions played a lot more just kind of, not straightforward, but pretty straightforward kind of match coverage they it ended up playing out like a lot of man coverage I believe after the Lions and then the Colts game where we kind of ranted about where's Andy Reid's man beaters because he's got a lot of them where are they at because they didn't have Tyree Kill Sammy Watkins was playing like he didn't care so I do think there was a little bit more pure match coverage there which played out like man whereas the Patriots they played man on the outsides, or they played man on Tyree Kill, Sammy Watkins, occasionally whoever the third wide receiver was. I think it was Demarcus Robinson saw like 67% of the same corner, and I forget who it was, probably J.C. Jackson. But what they did outside that, everybody else kind of played zone. You had safeties bracketing over Tyree Kill. You had linebackers or outside linebackers in their 3-4 hitting Travis Kelsey and a lot of times zoning out underneath him. So you got a lot of zone players and man mixing on the same coverage. They rushed three. I think the Lions rushed four a lot more often. The Lions was more of a mush rush, whereas the Patriots were just kind of like, eh, we don't care where our guys are going. We're just going to let the coverage hold up most of the time. So, I mean, those are some differences I recall off the top of my head. And I don't think a lot of teams are going to be able to pull off what the Patriots did. I do think the Lions game plan is a little bit more repeatable for other teams. Yeah, I would agree with that, Maddie. Tupelo Dillon asks, how can you say... McCole Hardman will only ever be a gadget player if he's not given the opportunity to show more. With three wide receivers ahead of him, he's not being asked to do a lot of outside of gadget plays. The AP McCole slander never dies. You guys are awesome. Or you guys are still awesome. Thanks. <laughs> All right. I'm going to say, basically, for the last time until something changes with McCole Hardman, these words. Because... Uh, I feel like we're just belaboring the point here. Yes, we are not 
we're not as gung ho about McCole Hardman as a lot of Chiefs Twitter is. He has not gotten the opportunities yet. He has not done, you know, he does not run a full wide receiver route tree. He is utilized to get manufactured touches right now in the offense. Can he improve? Yes, absolutely. Any second-year player can. It is still early in his NFL career. However, the Chiefs spent a high asset on him. They had the opportunity to walk away from Sammy Watkins, a player that he is not a direct replacement for, and Demarcus Robinson, a player who he should be a direct replacement for, and yet they brought both of those guys back. He is firmly entrenched behind them. Andy does a good job getting the ball in his hands, and when the ball is in his hands, he's an electric player. He can do things with it that a lot of players in the NFL can't. That's great. There's a there's value for McCole Hardman in this offense. It's just everybody expects him to be this this wide receiver two, wide receiver one style player. And that's just not who he is. And I think it puts unreasonable expectations. And so when we talk about it in that regard, a lot of people get very mad, including the people that send me homophobic slurs and tell me that I live in my mom's basement in my email. People... People oh. get really beat up about wow. McCall Hardman. So just just take a small breath. We want McCall Hardman on the field. We want him to develop. We want him to take that job because he. it would be great to get the value out of him. But right now, he's not there. And it's not just us that believe it. It's Andy Reid and Eric B. Enemy and Greg Lewis as well. Those guys aren't putting him in those positions because they believe the other guys are better in front of him right now. Now, that could change, but that's how it is right now. And that's the last that I'm going to say about McCall Hardman until something changes with his role on this team. Um, look, I, I've, had, I've had a long 24 hours with a lot of McCall debate the lot. Like, this has been very interesting. Did I, did I say the D'Anthony Thomas thing on the podcast? I can't even remember. Yes, you did. Okay, so I tweeted it out too. Okay, look, I my problem right now is, and first off, I want McColl to be good. I want to be wrong about McColl. Believe me, I want I want every draft pick the Chiefs make to hit, and I want this team to win all of the Super Bowls, and I want it to be really easy. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with any adversity throughout the season. That's just how I want to live my life. It would make it a lot less stressful. I have not seen enough. And I have not been encouraged by McCall Hardsman's usage. I have not been uh, impressed with the quality of the snaps he's getting, the volume of the snaps he's getting. I have not been impressed by the mistakes he's making. I am alarmed because nothing has really changed about his role. He is still the guy that, like DeAnthony Thomas, was getting a lot of manufactured touches to try to spark the offense with an explosive athlete. My problem is within the structure of the offense, he doesn't he doesn't do much. I mean, there's not a ton of plays through the offense where he's getting he's he's making plays. And they don't trust him to do a lot either. Like his route tree is limited, and the reason his route tree is limited because they know he's a limited route runner. There are indicators in there that make me nervous about his outlook. I think he's at, at best a wide receiver 3. Now, he has a chance to make some big plays, and he's going to make big plays. 
He's going to make four or five this year. And frankly, that's a big deal. And he's going to help you win some football games like he did last year. My concern is consistency and longevity. And, you know, coaches crave consistency. And that's not McCall Hardman's game. So that limits his ceiling. That limits what he's able to be long-term. I see, like, people think he's going to, people, I, I, believe me, I have plenty of people in my mentions. And one of the big, big prevailing factors, that, things that people talk about is once, once Sammy Watkins is gone. When Sammy Watkins is gone, if Sammy Watkins is gone, they're drafting an X, they're signing an X. He's going to be wide receiver three all of a sudden again. And then if they sign Demarcus Robinson, then again, I don't know what's going to happen. He might be a 50% of the snap player again or whatever he was this year. Demarcus Robinson's out snapping him. My concern is he shouldn't. Demarcus Robinson shouldn't be on the field. So why? Tell me why. The coaches are telling you what they think of McColl by the fact that he can't get more snaps than Demarcus Robinson. All right. Craig, make sure the record button is on because I think this needs to go out for everybody to kind of hear. I'm going to try not to repeat too much of what these guys just said here, but a lot of questions we get about McCall Hardman is we didn't like him in coming into the draft, so we were upset the Chiefs took him. That is true. He was not a guy that we wanted the Chiefs to take, especially in the second round. And if, with that being said, people think that we grade him too harshly because of it. They think we grade him, or not even grade him, just our opinion on him is skewed because we didn't like him coming into the draft. Maybe a little bit, but I would say the opinion's probably more skewed by the fact that, naturally, we compare him to other wide receivers taken after him. We compare him to DK Metcalf. We compare him to Terry McLaurin. Other wide receivers that we thought were better entering the league that were taken after he was. Just like Chicago Bears compare Mitchell Trubisky to Patrick Mahomes. Just like Chiefs fans compare Breland Speaks to a Fred Warner or a Jesse Bates. You have to compare guys you take to other players you like more. It's just something you naturally do. So when I look at DK Metcalf or Scary Terry, Terry McLaurin, win in the NFL in the exact same way they did in the draft process in college football, and they're doing that again in the NFL, and they're doing it at a better clip than McCole Hardman, why would I still not be upset that the Chiefs took McCole Hardman over them? We can talk about usage. We can talk about opportunity all we want. Here's the fact of the matter. If he was as good as those two players were, he would be on the field. If he was that good, if he was outplaying Demarcus Robinson, he would be on the field. He would not be sitting on the bench only running jet sweeps and getting like three deep passes, not even, sorry, not deep passes, getting three deep routes a game where he maybe gets a look if he was playing better football. He runs three deep routes. He runs a post, he runs a nine route, and he runs a slice route. He doesn't even get the deep over routes that much because that goes to Tyreek Hill. He gets three deep routes. None of them are particularly well. They're all linear. He's not asked to make hard breaks. He's not asked to temper his pace. He is going to be a guy that is going to run exactly the route he's asked to run. If he's not the first read on the play, he's going to do nothing. That's where he is right now, and that's okay. You can be a second-round wide receiver and do that. You just can't be mad at somebody that says, hey, he hasn't shown any signs of progression. He still can't run an advanced route. He still can't win off the line of scrimmage. He still plays 85% of his snaps from the slot off the line of scrimmage because they're afraid to put him up against press, and he runs with one of five routes on every single play. He's a dynamic player. He's fun. That makes fans like him more. That makes him seem really cool. He does fun things off the field. He's very engaging with fans. He seems like a very fun, pleasant person. He's probably a great person. So that makes him more likable. But when you look at him on the field, he does such a slim amount of things. He does such a small amount of things in terms of variance 
He does some of them very well. He's very fast. He's very elusive. Not very elusive. He's pretty elusive with the ball in his hands. He can do some things well. That's not what makes you a good wide receiver. You can't be mad at us when the Chiefs are telling you, hey, we need Sammy Watkins. Hey, we need Demarcus Robinson, and we need them to play more reps than McCall Hardman because they think that, and it's showing up when you look at him out there on the field. You can't be mad if somebody thinks that. I understand that we aren't the highest on McCall Hardman. That's okay. We don't have to be the highest people out there on McCall Hardman. Hopefully he changes our minds. When he starts to run slants, when he starts to run good dig routes or comebacks or things like that, when he starts beating Stephon Gilmore in man-to-man coverage, my tune will change. I've seen DK Metcalf do that. I've seen Scary Terry go out there and put the best cornerbacks through the works rep after rep. I don't see McCall Hardman do that. I see him take advantage of broken coverages or get jet sweeps. That's fine where he is, but you can't pretend like he's just as good as everybody else just because he has quote-unquote not been asked to do so. I hope we start asking him to. Maybe they will next year, but right now, he's the fourth wide receiver on a team using a very limited way. That's who McCall Hardman is. Hashtag let Matt cook. That was just... That was a Maddie rant almost. Um... Brad Ziegler. Wow. Uh, thanks for asking a question, Brad Ziegler. Uh, if we could get him on a cheap one-year prove-it deal, do you think it would be worth the risk to sign Antonio Brown for the second half of the season? I think that's just – on the field, I mean, yeah, I would do it in a heartbeat. The problem is I think 32 other teams would do – or 31 other teams would do it in a heartbeat on the field. There's just so many factors at play right now with him that – you know, off the field and in character. And he's just had so many issues the last, you know, 12, 16 calendar months. I don't like the risk, especially dropping him into a bizarre year when you're, I mean, you've got talent, you've got guys that can go out there and, you know, he would be wide receiver. He'd be the third best, you know, target at best. And how is he going to handle that role? What's his response going to be in that kind of situation? Um, I don't know if he'd be happy here. I mean, you look at guys like him and Jamal, or not Jamal Adams, guys like him and Earl Thomas. I mean, they're they're off. They're not on a roster for the for a reason, uh, and it's not because they're not good football players. We're gonna take a break, and we will be back with more of your questions right after this. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are continuing to answer your questions from Twitter. And Brandon422 asks, Every year and every draft, we hear how the Chiefs need to draft a first-round cornerback, yet they they won the Super Bowl and get production out of undrafted free agents, cheap free agents, and late-round picks. Why would they ever highly pay or draft highly a cornerback when someone like Rashad Fenton seems completely adequate? It's really nice when you find starting players or starting level players for your defense in day three. That's great. You win. That's how you win the draft. You find guys that can contribute, that can get on the field and make moves like that. 
in day three. Unfortunately, that hit rate is insanely low. That's not something that you just walk in every draft. And I get that Brett Veach, the past two drafts, looks really, really good at finding guys, especially in that those middle to later rounds. Like We're excited about what Brett Veach can do, but chances are much lower at finding an elite cornerback in that role. So if you want a guy, that you can put on an island. Steve Spagnuolo is running more man coverage this year than he ran last year. If he wants to lean on that, if he wants to go forward with more man coverage, he may want a guy that he can put on an island and trust to lock down a top-level receiver. Rashad Fenton was very good against a pretty poor wide receiver group this week. Rashad Fenton against a Julio Jones, against, you know, a, a really, really top flight wide receiver is probably going to get cooked a little bit and they're going to have to shift the defense to help cover for him with some safety help there to bracket the number one. You don't see guys like the Patriots. They didn't bracket all the time. They can leave Stephon Gilmore on a guy and just kind of ignore it because you know that Gilmore's going to win that matchup more often than he doesn't. Those types of guys are hard to find. You find them at the top of the draft. So that's why you would go get that. If you can get by with playing these zone-heavy schemes, playing with a lot of safety help, getting elite safety play basically behind it, then yeah, it's fine. But if you ever want to have a lockdown corner, your chances are much, much higher of finding one early in the draft. I think the big thing that Chiefs have proven is that it's going to be really hard for a wide receiver. And even if it is a huge mismatch, which I'm not saying they've really had this year, but a one wide receiver is going to be really hard to beat the Chiefs, no matter who the cornerback plays. They are so good with their safety play. Their pass rush has been so good that it's really hard for a quarterback to have enough time to sit back there and consistently let an outside wide receiver be a cornerback that may not be have the most talent in the world. Give them a little bit of trouble with the line of scrimmage. Stick with them long enough to force the either the pass rush to get home and force the quarterback to throw the ball or allow your safeties who are very good, very intelligent to read the play and try to help you out. I think the Chiefs have found a good way to balance that. They almost dare teams to try to beat them by throwing the ball outside the numbers after these cornerbacks that aren't the most talent-filled guys out there. And yeah, they have gotten good play. I don't mean to say that. They've gotten a lot of good play out of Traverius Ward. Legereus Sneed looked fantastic. Bashad Breland's been good. Fenton had a good game there. But when you go up against a Julio Jones, when you go up against DeAndre Hopkins, those guys have had success against the Chiefs. They really have against these same corners. But it's hard for a team to consistently target an outside corner over and over and over again to the point to where it's going to cost them the game when they have to score 28 points to beat your offense. Just kind of looking at it just like from a little bit of a different angle. I think when you're looking at roster construction, you've got to make decisions about your roster. If you are going to pay Frank Clark and Chris Jones and Patrick LeVon Mahomes, which you obviously should. I mean, they're paying their top-tier guys, and you've got to make decisions structurally with your roster about how you're going to account for that. And one of the things the Chiefs have done is they haven't spent a dime on cornerbacks, really, which is great. They've spent little draft capital. They've gotten creative. They've identified talent, and they have more than enough right now to go back and run it back, and that's really encouraging. Now, 
to all these guys' points, it it's not easy to to have this happen, but the Chiefs have, and you've got to give them a ton of credit for finding these guys, for developing those guys. They've got the right kind of kids at the position because they're developing. Uh, now the ceiling on this group is not as high as some others, but you've got enough, and you're getting a little bit more help with Bashad Breland, Bo Pete Keys down the line. There's there's some positive stuff to like about this cornerback group moving forward, and they might be able to really kind of piece this thing together with without much investment whatsoever. Derek Vreeland asks, Patrick Mahomes seemed off on Monday night. Did Bill Belichick confuse him? Was he thrown off by the one-day delay or what? I believe Patrick said that the delay was a little bit of something. There was just a lot going on. However, to me, it just like the Patriots played really, really well. You saw some of what the Chiefs wanted to do. They figured it out, and they were able to do it. They hit Tyreek Hill on a couple deep overs. I kind of talked about how they just missed the deep pass to Tyreek Hill. They found Kelsey a few times isolated. Like They were able to do some of the stuff they wanted to do, but a lot of the time, the Patriots were taking it away. I do think their defensive style, the dropping, you know, seven guys into coverage, sometimes an eighth defensive end slash outside linebacker would just kind of hang out at the line of scrimmage in the flats area. Like I do think that took away some of what the Chiefs were playing Mahomes was planning on doing on that play. But overall, just Patriots game plan was excellent. The Chiefs didn't look right, whether it was a defensive scheme combined with the late start, I'm not sure. I just think the Chiefs had a plan of what they wanted to do. It didn't always work out, but you still saw some good positives mixed in there as the game went on. Yeah, it was a little bit of everything to me. I saw some throws that were uncharacteristic. I'm trying to, I was trying to understand, like the throw to I think was Sammy Watkins or Travis Kelsey, where it looked like Sammy might have given up on the play, where it looked like Mahomes might have thought that Sammy was flattening the route and continuing to go with it. Um, there was just there were some plays like that. I think Bill Belichick, I think dropping eight did mess with him a little bit. Um, I think they did a good job maybe kind of eliminating some of the outlets he typically would take in a, you know, out of structure play. There was a lot of little things going on there. Uh, and you got to, and again, I, I agree. I agree with Matt. You got to give him credit. You got to give the Patriots credit. It's, I, you know, I, it's kind of weird. You look at that Patriots game and it's like, well, there was no Cam Newton, but it's like the, the defense is still that defense and that defense is very good. So, I mean, you tell me that it's not like one side of the football still had to deal with the New England Patriots and it went how these games typically go when these two match up. Jeff Pars asks Jeff, uh, Tommy Townsend, he's bombing punts, but are, uh, are his holds responsible for Harrison Butker's struggles? Craig, look, you mentioned holders earlier and now we've got a holder question. What do you know? I, I love all of our listeners for allowing me to talk about more special teams. It's what the people want. Yeah, I have no clue. I, I haven't sat down and st- studied the, the holds. I'm sure that it makes a difference. I'm sure that there is a comfort level with Dustin Colquitt. You put you have a holder like that for your entire NFL career, and then you make a switch. Things are going to change. I don't see any particular slips, any particular you know angles or anything like that that look out of sorts from the replays when he's missing some of these kicks. I think he's just flat missing them. And I, if there is something there, I guarantee you that Dave Tobe is going to be hammering that this week. Uh, as a former college holder, and basically that was about it. Never blame the holder. It's all. It's never our fault. 
don't don't put that <laughs> evil on us. It wasn't Tony Romo's fault either. Um, I think I actually this isn't even a joke. You had success for a couple weeks, and then all of a sudden he started pushing pulling them left. So I think it's I think it's mechanics personally because it's it his issues are in the same spot consistently. Uh, that's just my thought. Isaac D by y'alls. I'm sorry for butchering that. <laughs> Who will start at cornerback for the Chiefs on Sunday? Rashad Fenton playing his best game as a Chief last night, and, and Charvarius Ward looked uncharacteristically susceptible in the run game. Resting Ward for Breland might be a good move on a short week. What are your thoughts? I think you see Charvarius Ward and Rashad Fenton be the starters again. I think they work Breland back in slowly, kind of like they did to Morris Claiborne last year. You're going to see him get a whole series here and there, but it's going to be a series. Then he's back off for maybe two or three. Then a whole series, then off for two or three. As he works back into game shape, shows where he's at. If Fenton struggles a little bit, I wouldn't be surprised to see Breland get more reps earlier rather than later. Like they do trust him on a pretty high level, but I think to start the game, you're getting Fenton, you're getting Ward. I don't even think Breland's going to attempt to work in the slot. I think you mostly just see him on the outside. Yeah, and they like Antonio Hamilton in the slot in their dime packages. Tyron Matthew just has that that slot rolled down. I will say Antonio Hamilton at the end of the game against the Patriots replaced Charvarius Ward on the outside to close it out. They went to a dime defense and put Tedrick Thompson on the field and Charvarius Ward came off with Antonio Hamilton on the outside. I didn't hear if Charvarius picked up a knock. I didn't hear if maybe he was just a little winded. Things weren't going well. I, I don't know what the case is, but it does seem like he might be the guy. I agree with Maddie. I think they're going to ease him in, ease Breland in. He might be the guy to step off the field against the Raiders and let Bashad Breland have a little bit of reps here and there. Yeah, I think you let Bashad Breland get a few reps uh, on Sunday night and make sure he's kind of building up to Thursday night too. Because you're going to need him. The Chiefs, they, this is a very difficult stretch for this football team. Uh, it's it's pretty tough. And so you've got to keep that in mind with these next two games. The Chiefs play on Sunday night or Sunday, then they play on Thursday. Like right after. And oh, by the way, it's the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, it wouldn't hurt to kind of ease him in and have Bashar Breeland ready for Thursday as well. Speaking of tough stretches, Captain Denny asks, with the first quarter of the season over and the hardest part of the schedule behind us, what quarter of the remaining schedule scares you the most? Here, I'll just read them off real quick for all of us. Uh, the second quarter of the season versus the Raiders at the Bills, at the Broncos, against the Jets. Then you've got Panthers, Raiders, Bucks, and Broncos in the third quarter of the season. And then you got Dolphins, Saints, Falcons, and Chargers. I think... Quarter two is very difficult. And it ha the Bills are the – they might be the second-best team in the AFC. And you're going to Buffalo and you're playing them on Thursday night. This stretch here – and the Raiders, whatever. I mean, they're the toughest AFC West opponent, which isn't saying a ton. But that this next stretch, playing the Raiders and the Bills in a matter of four days – not ideal. Don't like that. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately for that block there, the beat up Broncos 
and the Jets are in it. So I think it balances it out. I'm going to go with the final quarter, uh, the Dolphins, the Saints, the Falcons, the Chargers. I don't expect that the Falcons are going to be any good. I think the Dolphins are going to have Tua playing at that point, and I think we're going to see them playing a much more appeasing brand of football. I think they're going to be pretty good. The Saints are going to be pushing for the playoffs there at the end. Yes, I know that Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, yada, yada, they do have a pretty decent defense. I think they're a good team, and you travel there. That's a tough one. And then the Chargers, Justin Herbert at the end of the year, and they still have a Bosa that that should worry Chiefs fans a little bit. I think that that is an underrated, tough part of the schedule. I'm going to go with, I mean, this second quarter here coming up, the limited rest. You're playing probably the best team you're going to play the rest of the season. I mean, I guess the Buccaneers and the Saints are both good teams too, but the Bills are one of the best teams that you're going to play. They're just as good as those guys doing it on a short week. You have two divisional games mixed in there, and it doesn't matter how much talent the Broncos or the Raiders are lacking. A divisional game for most teams is scary. The Chiefs have kind of dominated the AFC West, so maybe not as much for them. I just do think that you still have to give that some credit. The Jets are definitely like a second bye week, but I mean that the Broncos, the Raiders, they're surrounding that Bills game. It's going to have everyone's eyes on it. I just think there's a chance that the Chiefs come out flat in one of those two divisional games because of all the other big games they had played before it. Jobin1776 asks, has Kelechi Osemele played well enough to warrant an extension beyond this year? I think so. I think the bigger issue is health and age rather than his play on the field. Like I think he's pretty clearly the best interior offensive lineman the Chiefs have. Austin Ryder hasn't been bad this year by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't think he's been good. Osimile's had some really good moments. He still has some flaws in his game. Like he's not a perfect player, especially as he's gotten a little bit older working in a new system, but he has some really good bright spots. Like if you can bring him back, I think that does postpone needing to get a new body for that position in the immediate future. So I certainly hope the Chiefs do if he can keep up this level of play. D Johnston 29 asks, what will Ben Neiman or when will when will Ben Neiman? I'm sorry, stop seeing the field. Uh week one, 2021, if you're lucky. <laughs> this man's your dime linebacker. They don't trust anybody else to have that role. Not even Anthony Hitchens to have that role. He's going to be your dime linebacker. Willie Gay just we talked about his processing, everything like that, knowing the defense, knowing where he needs to be. Ben Neiman calls the fronts in the dime. He He's the guy that relays all that information into the defense and organizes some stuff. Willie Gay is just not ready to take on that role yet. So you are going to be stuck with Ben Neiman in the dime for the rest of the year, barring injury. Graver Tanner asks, what is causing the struggles with the short yardage run game? Andrew Wiley and Mitchell Schwartz. Uh, I, I don't, the Chiefs have this weird thing where they like to run to the right for some reason, especially in short yardage situations. I think they're trying to pull Coleccio Simile around on those spots. I, the concept is good. And I think Osimile's had some good pull reps, but that's not the biggest strength of his game right now. I don't understand why they've gotten away from running behind Fisher and Osimile, who are the two best run blockers on the team right now. So I do think that Wiley, I do think that Schwartz are struggling a little bit to create movement, especially in short yardage situations. I mean, in any situation, really. 
Besides that, I think the Chiefs are still just trying to figure out how to run non-zone schemes over and over again. They're trying to figure out how to get defensive linemen off the ball. You've seen some success at times. It's just not consistent right now. I hope it gets better, but if not, please just run to the left side when you need a couple yards. It's pretty obvious. The problem is that they're not passing. Chiefs Duncan, why do the Chiefs continue to carry four four tight ends on the roster with depleted depth all around the defense? Breeling comes back this week. What should be the corresponding move? Well, the corresponding move was Marcus Kemp getting uh, released, it appears. Uh, So that... It looks like somehow Ricky Seals-Jones is keeping his job on the 53-man roster. I do not understand it. It's not even like he, he doesn't really compliment either Nick Kaiser or like he or he's not similar to Nick Kaiser or Deion Yelder at all, which is so weird. Like he's a glorified wide receiver that's trying to convert to a tight end. He was a receiver coming out. Not a great special team. Not a great blocker. What he is is he's athletic enough to get down the field. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't like to watch him change directions. The limited reps we saw of him in that one practice that the Chiefs posted was not pretty. So I don't understand why Ricky Seals-Jones is on this roster, especially since he's been inactive every week. The Chiefs already had three times. None of it makes sense. Guwap asks, any thoughts on... The Russ comparison chart against the Pats that most of us saw. I know Maddie saw it. How was he able to attack deep, but Mahomes really did? And when he did, it seemed like it was going to the Pats guys instead of ours. Maddie, hashtag let Matt cook. I'm going to keep it short. We've gone almost 50 minutes already, so we won't have to get too far into this. I think the Patriots game plan against the Chiefs and the Seahawks is so different. that I don't. It's hard to compare the two. I understand if you're a Seattle fan, why you want to really, really let this one roll out there. I mean, Russell Wilson had a great game versus the Patriots. Patrick Mahomes really didn't. But you watch that Seahawks game, the Patriots are like, hey, we're going to play man coverage. We're going to throw a lot of cover zero at you, a lot of cover one at you, and we're going to let DK Metcalf cook Stephon Gilmore. We're going to let Tyler Lockett cook whoever we're playing instead of J.C. Jackson in the slot for some reason, and it just it became ugly. Against the Chiefs, you didn't get that. You didn't get those same looks. You The Chiefs didn't get the ability to throw downfield. There was two safeties back there so often. Tyreek Hill constantly has Devin McCourty, I believe is the correct one, over the top of him. Play after play. When they put Hardman out there, he had another safety over him. They had two high looks a lot. It's just entirely different defensive concepts, and it made it really hard for the Chiefs to push the ball downfield. And the next thing I want to just, whatever it is, the Chiefs offensive line, even against three rushers at times, did not seem to give the cleanest of pockets. And some of that's on Mahomes for trying to scramble rather than just sitting still and staying in the pocket. Mahomes likes to get left. He likes to get right. He likes to step up a little bit. He doesn't ever just want to sit there. And I think Russell Wilson's a little bit better about staying calm in the pocket. He's also taken a lot of sacks that way, but he's willing to stay calm in the pocket a little bit better than Mahomes is. So for some reason, that rush was getting to Mahomes, making him try to go a little quicker. Didn't happen. That's my quickest answer I can be, and that was still like a three-minute answer. So that's that's the perfect Maddieism for you. <laughs> Techno Brad, what is up with Mitchell Schwartz? He hasn't seemed like he's playing to the, his usual level. Curious what you guys see have seen on film. Do you think it's age catching up to him? 
I do, unfortunately. I think it's age and injuries. I, I forget who said it, but it's not me. But the, the old adage, nobody ever, ever had a bad back. Like, it just doesn't go away. You don't fix a bad back. It will stick with you throughout your career, especially an offensive tackle. He just looks a step slower. He looks a little bit slower than we've seen over the past couple of years. He's still a very good right tackle. We're just starting to see a little more pressure coming off of his side. We're starting to see some things get home on Mahomes off of his side of the field, and we've just become so used to him locking guys down and being this true lockdown right tackle it's just not been that way this this year to this point but some of that may just be the fact that he didn't get preseason reps they weren't really hitting too hard in camp like he doesn't have the same preparation that he did in all of his other you know seasons coming in here so maybe we'll see it progress and get better as the year goes along Chief Boy RDG asks, since we're a quarter way into the season, could each of you give one player that's disappointed and one that's been a pleasant surprise and someone who needs more time, needs the ball to show what he can do? Let's just do one player that's disappointed and one player that's been a, a pleasant surprise. Just okay. Wanna, just those two. Yeah, yep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick on the defensive side of the ball, and they're going to be at the same position. Um, one player that's disappointed for me is Tano Passigno. Now, that's not to say he's been bad. I just expected the next step. He is getting the bulk of the reps. He is getting starter level reps. And he's just not getting into the backfield consistently when rushing the passer. He's fine as a run defender this year. He does what he needs to do. He is gap sound. But he's just not pressuring the passer at a clip at the rest of the guys around him are. Or like the guy who's been a pleasant surprise, Taco Charlton. Taco Charlton looks electric out there. He looks fantastic. He's got great burst. He's using his rush moves really well. He's setting things up, and he is a problem. Like He has been living in quarterback's laps for the past three weeks. I still don't know why he was in active week one, because this dude has been on a tear. He really has been on a tear. He's been a very pleasant surprise, especially since you know they, they kind of tried to downplay expectations a little bit in camp. Made you wonder, you know, where he stood in that defensive end room. He has been a very pleasant surprise in the limited reps that he's gotten. For me, I'm going to go one on each side. My biggest disappointment's been Andrew Wiley. I thought we would see a return to his play from a couple years ago when he was on the right side, and it's been pretty bad. Like, I... If I had to pick one problem with the run game overall, I unfortunately think I would put it on Andrew Wiley. I don't know if Rimmers was a lot better, but I don't think he had as many egregious mistakes as Wiley did. So like, he's my big disappointment. I thought we were going to get a better version of him. My surprise, Tedrick Thompson. I still like what I see about him when he's on the field. I thought that his film in Seattle was so bad, but everything I've seen about him on the Chiefs team has been very good. I'd prefer him to play is the other slot opposite of Tyron Matthew instead of Antonio Hamilton. From what I've seen, I just think he's a little bit more physical, a little bit higher IQ than Hamilton. I get not as good man coverage skills, but when he's out there, he seems to make a lot of nice, aggressive plays. I really liked what he's brought to the defense, and I really didn't expect it based on this how bad the film was for Seattle. Uh, you took both of mine. You're welcome. Which is just... Like it's just podcast bingo, I guess. 
Um, I think I'm gonna go disappointment. I guess I I am a little bit disappointed in Mitchell Schwartz to this point this year. Um, uh, and I know we've already talked a little bit about him. He does look like age is catching up a little bit to him. Um, he's battled through some you know injuries in his past, and he's been able to overcome them. But it does kind of seem like physically and athletically, he was never a he was always winning as a technician anyway. But it it looks a little different. It definitely looks a little different. He doesn't have the same functional athleticism that you've seen in the past, and, and it's not always been as pretty as you'd like. Uh, biggest surprise, how about Tommy Townsend? Y'all, I mean... Get off my lawn. My man, well, you didn't go Tommy Townsend. You had a chance to go Tommy Townsend. I went last. I gave you guys the chance to cook. I'm going Tommy Townsend. Imagine being surprised that he was good. Booming leg. I picked Tommy Townsend. Hold on. Hold on, Maddie. Last I said, I think we were having like a fake competition and I rolled with Tommy Townsend and you rolled with that whatever bum is long-haired mullet bum that they had, that you had rolling. Okay, one, he's on the practice squad, so talk nicely about him. And two, his mullet is fantastic. Is he on the practice squad? Tyler uh, Newsom was on the practice squad for a while. I'm not sure if he's still on there. Correct. He's not. No. Just so you know. R.I.P. the dream. I think there was like a, I think there was speculation that he was going to, and that just never happens. Like Didn't someone he punt a ball like 80 yards and a Twitter clip, like after the first week of the season. I'm pretty sure. No, nope, that's a myth. <laughs> that didn't happen. All right. That is going to do it for the mailbag edition of the AP laboratory. Thank you all so much for listening to this show. Uh, thank you for all y'all do uh, supporting what we're doing at Arrowhead pride. This is a really fun gig for us. And uh, we are not, it's not lost on us how lucky we are to be doing this. Thank you all so much. Be sure you're checking out the Arrowhead Pride podcast channel. So much great stuff going on. We'll catch you later.